at the end of the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Jesus tells um, a story about houses and storms and rock and sand. And we're going to look at that for just a few moments this morning. Do me a favor, turn in your Bibles or Bible devices to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 as we continue our our studies in the parables of Jesus. While you're doing that, let me remind you that we have one more teach in our series and Kevin Rusak, our equipped pastor and one of our teaching pastors will be up next week. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be amazing for that last parable. And then, and then we start our new series. I'm really excited about this in the New Testament book of First Timothy. Actually, First and Second Timothy. You say, what's the big deal? A, it's God's word, always a big deal. B, as you know, more often than not, we teach verse by verse, and we're always excited about that. But C, in the 21 years of New Heights existence, we've never taught through First and Second Timothy. Can you believe it? So I'm, I'm going to ask you to do a little homework. Read ahead over and over and over again. Read First and Second Timothy. Okay, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, therefore. Now, it's good... Bible students, we always ask what the therefore is there for. Therefore. Now, like any good preacher, Jesus is now going to make some application. Here's what he's doing. Therefore, in, in light of all that I just preached on the Sermon of the Mount, you say, what, what is all that he just preached? He began in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. He began with the Beatitudes, but then launches into a, a two-chapter sermon what scholars call the greatest message ever taught. And he's now at the end of the sermon and he goes, hey, put it into practice. Put it into practice. Therefore, everyone who hears these words, what I just preached, these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. It always does. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall why? Because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the rain came down, and streams, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, I always love this. Um, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. Their mouths had dropped. Their eyes were really big. They're like, What? They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, it is the beginning of the new school year, uh, especially for college students. So let's start by testing not just college students, but everyone's knowledge of American literature for just a moment. Because there's another famous story in the history of American literature that's very similar. In that other story, there are also... Um, characters that are builders and they each construct a house and there's a contrast between wise and foolish building and every house faces a test and if the house was built wisely it stands if it were built foolishly it falls anybody recognize what that other story is you can shout it out yes yes exactly very literate crowd here many u of a people here right no university of texas transfers here this morning none none but if you are a UT transfer, we love you anyways. So every little pig builds a house and every house faces the big bad wolf. And one day the big bad wolf comes and says, little pig, little pig, 
let me come in. And the little pig says, not by the... I just wanted to see if I could get you to say that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, two of the, pig, two of the pigs build their house out of junk. You say, well, why? Maybe because it's easier or cheaper or here's one, maybe everyone else was building their house that way and they just copied them. We, we tend to do that, right? And they never stop to ask these two questions. Will it handle the wolf? Will it stand up to the wolf test? And one little pig builds his house wisely and, and, it, and it lasts. And there's just, something, there's just something about house building, something about that metaphor that runs deep in our lives. And then Jesus tells a story about house building. It's one of those stories where it's really two stories side by side. And when you get to a parable like this, the best way to understand it is to ask, where do those two stories have similarities, right? Let's, let's put them side by side, but where's the variable? Where's the variable? Because when you find the variable, that's the hinge that the whole story turns on. That's the aha moment. That's the, oh, man, Jesus, you got me again. Ah. Then you can find out what Jesus is really, really after. So um, we're just going to walk through, walk through um, that this morning, the first de detail in each story. In Jesus' story is that quite simply, everybody, everybody builds a house. Everybody. This detail doesn't vary. It's, it's not optional. Now, to understand this detail, I, I would do this. Do this with me. Replace the word house with character or soul or life. Because Jesus is saying that we are constructing a life. We're constructing our character. Now, get this. This is really important. We're constructing our eternal souls. Everybody builds a house. Everybody. This detail does not vary. And the materials that we constructed out of are the choices that we make. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. But here's what happens. We, we tend to get distracted from that because um, we think about the circumstances of our life. We tend to get caught up in the moment. And the reality is they're very finite. And quite frankly, they don't really matter like we think they matter. What does matter about us is our soul, that which will matter for all of eternity. And we're constructing it every day, good or bad, deliberately or casually with wise choices or foolish choices. Every time we choose, we're building an eternal house and it's going to last forever. And the problem is this, we, we tend to make foolish choices. Anybody here ever make a foolish choice? Now, hold on a second. Don't raise your hand. I, I want us to do a mass confession here together, so don't raise your hand quite yet. There's a few categories that I, I want to run through that may help trigger you a little bit, okay? Just to jog your memory, here are some potential foolish choices. Here's the first one. Have you ever said something you later regretted? Here's another one. Have you ever dated somebody who wasn't spiritually healthy? Oh man, he's so cute. Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, I love his dimples. 
No idea where the dimples came from. But who doesn't love dimples? Let's be honest. How about this one? You ready? Have you ever bought something impulsively that you never use? Here's my all-time favorite one. Hey, maybe Father's Day rolled around and you realize that you're not spending nearly enough money or time or care on dad because no matter what a family does for dad, it would never be enough to repay him for all he's given and done. Amen. (laughs) If you've ever made a foolish choice about time, money, behavior, dating, vocation, parenting, friendship, your spiritual life, raise your hand right now, would you? Just right, there you go. There's a couple liars in here, but the rest are telling the truth. Here's the reality. Whether you like it or not, we're all building houses. And and the Bible says that God's very interested in the house that we're building. And this metaphor um, is used a number of times. And Paul writes the church at Corinth. And he puts it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, Um, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. Verse 14, if the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. What a a day that's going to be, huh? And that day is going to really happen. Now, the enemy will say to you all the time, that day, let it go. Live in the moment. Who's worried about building houses? Just put up a tent. You're good. Just sleep on the ground. It's all right. Come on. But if that, if the house he builds burns up, he'll suffer a great loss. You and I are responsible for our house, our character, our souls. Like it or not, this is not optional in Jesus' story. Now, now, please hear this. We don't get a pass on house building. And I don't get to build your house, and you don't get to build mine. Don't we love building everyone else's houses? I'll build your house. It'll be amazing. Just listen to me. And if you don't, I'll judge you. Maybe I won't, even, I won't even tell you how to build your house. I'll just judge you anyways. Don't build someone else's house. Build, build your own house. So that's a constant. We're all building houses, whether we want to or not. Well or badly, we're house builders. Secondly, this morning, it's also important to notice that um, every house faces a storm. The wolf comes to the door of every, every little pig. We are, we are house builders. We are storm facers. Remember Jesus' description of the two storms? One comes to the house on the rock and one comes to the hand, house on the sand, and they're absolutely identical. Word for word, Why? Because Jesus wants to make it clear that this is not a story about how to build a house where there will be no storms. Matthew 7, verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that, against that house. In our text, Jesus is basically saying, uh, trouble, Strife, turmoil, difficulty, and hardship will come. Not if, but when. You'll lose your job. You'll get sick. Your boyfriend will break up with you. Your girlfriend will break up with you. That's what Jesus says. In this world, you will have trouble. That's what he says. So don't get caught up. Don't live your life in such a way and say something like this. I've heard it a thousand times. You know what? Everything will be fine so so long as nothing goes wrong. Something's going to go wrong. 
That's what he's saying. The storm will come. Hardships, trials, strife. Some storm is, is going to hit. I want you to see a picture. That's Aaron King. He's, 20, he's 28 years old. He's the older brother of our very own um, Megan Simpkins. I had the privilege of performing uh, the wedding ceremony for Megan and Austin over, over two years ago. That's the two of them standing behind Aaron. Aaron was completely healthy then. I'll never forget, it felt like nonstop at the reception he did the worm. Who does that, by the way? Oh, that just feels like torture. On August 23rd, 2021, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. It's, it has spread throughout his lungs. If you're 28 years old, you shouldn't get cancer. But Aaron did. In December, he learned the cancer had spread to his brain as well. It's like, really, God? But hold on. He went through radiation and more chemo, then surgery to remove the origin of, of the cancer. And then in March of 2022, they realized infections. So it's lungs, brain, but now the infections have gone down into his knees. So they did endless knee surgeries. You're like, really? He's now able to walk with, at a walker and he can put a lot more weight on his legs, but not fully yet. He uses a cane for support. Aaron's not doing the worm right now. All cancer is gone from his brain, but several tumors remain, cancerous tumors remain in his lungs. He's still fighting. He's still in the storm. Megan says that spiritually he's unbelievably strong, stronger than the rest of us. He rarely complains despite all that he has endured. I want us to stop for just a moment together and pray for Aaron. But I want you to hear this. God is not a genie in a bottle that you rub and you make him get up and dance and do whatever you want him to do. God does whatever he wants to do. Do we have that down? Because if we don't get that down, when the storms come, we'll be like, ah. Oh. So we're going to pray together. I'll pray out loud. I'm going to encourage you. If you're not used to what we do at New Heights, put your hands towards Aaron. As if you could touch him. As if you could lay holy hands on him and pray for him. And I'm going to pray for God to heal him. But I can't make God heal him. I'm going to trust God to be God. I'm going to trust him because he knows what's best. Let's pray. Father, in this room, there are hundreds of people lifting up your saint right now. Your son, Aaron. He knows you. He loves you. He can't stop thinking about you. He trusts you. So we're going to ask you to do something that doesn't happen very often at this stage. Heal him, please, in Jesus' name. Heal him. We trust you. We trust you regardless of the outcome, but we're going to ask, as you tell us, we have not because we ask not. So in Jesus' name, heal our brother, Aaron. Amen. Storms come to every person. 
And I say that partly because I know that we live in a part of the world where people think, you know what, Lee? I want you to see this. I'm able, bright enough and clever enough that somehow I can engineer a storm-free life. I've heard, I've heard people say that to me. No, you can't. Neither can I. Everybody builds a house. We're building an eternal soul. Everybody faces a storm. It's going to come our way. Maybe it's right now. And that reveals what really matters. Because what really matters in Jesus' story, the variable, the hinge point, the whole deal comes down to this. Two things. What are you building your house on? Everybody builds a house. What are you constructing your life on? Because life is not about storm avoidance. It's not about trying to make sure that the circumstances are all smooth and pleasant. The bottom line is this. We can build our life on rock or we can build it on sand. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hey, we got to build our life on something. We've got to make somebody our authority. Lastly, this morning, God says the only right way to build our houses is to build on Jesus. In Jesus' day, the old way to God, the old system was symbolized primarily by the, the temple. Um, some of you may know this already, but for those who don't, um, Jerusalem was built on what was called the Temple Mount or the Temple Rock. This huge, rocky outcropping. It was, among other things, known as the house on the rock. So when Jesus says the house on the rock is going to be this new community of people who build their lives on my words, that's a staggering, audacious claim. But the question arises, at least it does to me, how do I do this? How do I build my life on the rock of Jesus? Here's a start, and I want you to see this behind me. Cry out to him. Jesus, whatever you say, I will seek to understand. I don't get it all. I don't look at, at Aaron King and go, got it. I go, oh, help me understand this. Help me understand this. That's what I'm going to do with my singleness or my marriage or my children or my time or my money or my relationships or my, my values. And then when the storm hits you and the storms will hit you, you, you've built on the rock and you're not slipping. You say, what, what does that look like practically, Lee? Well, the house built on the rock, and this is a, a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. It, it is the life that empties itself of self-righteousness and pride. You don't come to God like this. You need me. <laughs> I'm pretty special. We come to God like this. Oh, God. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God. L less of me and more of you. It's the life that, that is overwhelmed and mourns over its own sin. Oh, God, forgive me. There's no good thing I bring to this. Oh, God, my thoughts, my actions, even my, my current values, they all pale in comparison to you, God. The house built on the rock is the life that prays without ceasing. Why? Because there's dependence. I kid with you about my chair of prayer, but man, I start off my, my day in my chair of prayer because I, I'm, I, am, 
I sit in a small position and I just cry out to God. And it always hits me as I'm crying out to God and I'm praying for all these things. I can't do a whole lot. And then throughout the day, I just, oh, God, I pray for this. I pray for so-and-so. Give me wisdom. I pray for their salvation. I pray for protection. The house built on the rock is um, the life that makes the maximum effort to enter the narrow gate and to be fair, faithful in the narrow way to Christ and his word. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. Right? Such a builder doesn't build his or her life or, or place his or her life on or hope on ceremony, ritual, experiences, or feelings, but on the word of God and that alone. Now, before I go any further, I'm going to ask some of you in the room to evaluate your relationship with Jesus. Because some of you claim to know and love Jesus, but your relationship is, is built on, on a contract and not on the Word of God. Let me illustrate. Life goes wrong, storms come, and you feel like, God, how could you do this to me? And you think, well, if God's not going to take better care of me, then why should I serve him? It's like you have a contract with God. You know what, God? I'm going to do certain things, and God, this is what you will do in return. You're going to make my life easier and bless me all the time. So, so what happens when you're in a storm, you get mad at God for not keeping up his end of the bargain, for not keeping the contract, and you assume, well, God, what good is it um, that I'm with you? And you leave him. What's the advantage of being religious if it's not going to give me all the stuff I want? I have sat... Over 20 years of ministry, I've sat with hundreds of people who have said those words. It's a contract. You bless me, I serve you. Storms come, where are you? I'm out. But people who really know God, here's what they say. Now, I'm not saying perfectly. I'm not saying they don't struggle. I'm not saying they don't have a serious argument with God at times. But here's what they say. Here's the final outcome. In the midst of the storm, God, even if I lose everything, I still have you. God, you're enough. You're more than enough. I have you. I'd rather have you than anything. So God, I, even though I don't understand it all, even though the storms have come, even though the wind is blowing and the rain is falling, I'm building my life on your word. The contrast is the person who builds their life on sand. The sand is, is composed of um, cultural influence. Contracts that can be broken. Human opinions, attitudes, and, and wills which are always shifting and always unstable. To build on, on the sand is to build on self-will. Self-sufficiency. 
self-fulfillment, self-purpose, self-satisfaction. And believe it or not, you ready for this? Self-righteousness. We're seeing it all, all around us in our culture right now. You're bad, I'm good. Here's the criteria. If you don't meet them, I cancel you. Build your life on anything else but the rock of Jesus, and you can do that. Build your life on anything else, and you're building, building it on stand, and one day a storm is going to come, and you may have a real impressive-looking life, but it's going to get all blown away. Now, I've been thinking about this. Maybe you haven't, but I have been. The obvious question when I hear this story that Jesus tells, the obvious question um, about this guy who builds his houses but does it on sand is, how does, he, how does he get into this mess? Why would somebody do something like that? And it's interesting here. He didn't deliberately set out to do something evil. Jesus doesn't call him a wicked man. What's the adjective that Jesus uses? He calls him a foolish man. That's our condition. When kids do something foolish, um, parents ask the same question. They've been asking it for centuries. What's the question? Parents, why? Why? Why did you do this? I can still hear my mother's voice in my head on a regular basis. Lee Jr., why did you climb up in the attic and fall through the ceiling and bring down half of our insulation? Why? Why did you Lee Jr. rock back and forth on a large wooden chair in front of a, a plate glass window, getting just as close as you could, just, just, and then you eventually went right through the middle of it? Why? And why did you and your brother take my Pinto station wagon, racing at the local motocross track, busting the oil pan, and cracking the frame? Why did you do this? And kids always give the same answer. They've been giving it for centuries. What is it? I don't know. I don't know. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Right? I don't know, Mom. I don't know why Ty and I flew your pinto like some good old boys. I can tell you this. We weren't meaning no harm. I don't know. Of course, kids don't know. If they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have done such a stupid thing in, in the first place. If you were to ask this man, you have only one, you have one and only one life. You know you're going to die. Everyone does. And you know the storm is going to come along someday. Why in the world would you build your one and only life on the sand? What do you think he'd say? I don't know. Seemed like a good choice at the time. No architect says, hey, let's build here in a bed of sand where the river will come through when it rains. No architect does that. It just happens. This is life. Unless, write this word down. Choose. Choose. Unless you choose you, not your mom, not your dad, not your teacher, not your boss, not your spouse, not your, unless you choose. 
No one plans to leave to lead a mediocre life. No couple gets married and sits down and says, hey, let's plan, let's plan on ending up in a divorce court. No man or woman has ever, ever has a child and then says, you know what, I think I'm going to get so busy and so wrapped up in my career and be gone so much that my children won't know me and will carry a hole in their hearts as long as they live. Nobody nurses a grudge and says to themselves, I think I'm going to become a bitter, angry, resentful old person before I die. So Jesus sets forth this choice. He sets it again today for you and me. We're all house builders. We're all storm facers. So he says this, will you build your life on the rock? Will you say, all right, I will build my life on, on Jesus? And eventually, if we want to handle the storms of life, we have to choose. And we have to say this. I want you to see it. It's so important. You know what, Jesus? Why don't you just take control of the house? I'm going to sign it over to you. I, I want to have my house built on the rock I want it to be your house, and I want it to be your life. The Bible has a word for this. It's called lordship. Lordship. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you done that? Here's what's amazing. If we ask him, he'll do it. If we say, Jesus, I love you, and I want to obey you, and I want to build my house on you, I want to build my life on your word, the words that come from the Bible, he says he'll receive us, and he'll make his home inside of us. I want you to notice some of the similarities here in the upper room as he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's given instructions to his disciples. Notice the similarities with John 14, and with Matthew 7, he says this, John 14, verse 23, he replies to the disciples, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Hey, by the way, side note here, um, if, you're, if you're new to New Heights or if you've been with us a while and somehow you missed it, we're really passionate about teaching, about the word of God, about discipleship. That's why we have equip classes. We have the way of Jesus. We teach through God's word on a Sunday morning. We have um, men's ministries, women's ministries, community groups. I can go on and on. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. How awesome is that? Anyone who does not love me, does this sound familiar, will not obey my teaching. They'll just build on sand. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Let me just say this as I, as I finish up this morning. And can I get the, the worship team to come on back up and those on the prayer team? Will you please come on up? Again, this may be new to you. We're going to kind of transition to what we call our, our ministry time. It's a time where people are going to be taking communion, be a time where you can pray around the room. We'll be, there'll be worship. 
But let me just ask you something this morning, okay? Or maybe make an observation and see if this is where you're at. Maybe there's a storm in your life right now. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, it's, um, it's a job problem. Maybe it's a struggle in your marriage. Maybe it's a divorce you, you're either going through or you've gone through. Maybe you have a child that you love so much who's going in the wrong direction. You're like, God, I can't fix this. Maybe you lost somebody you love. That's hard. That's a storm. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it's a full-blown addiction. Maybe somebody has rejected you and your heart is breaking. Hey, look, it doesn't have to be that big. You that's a big deal. Maybe some of you are here right now and you've come to the U of A, you're in college, it's your first time, and you're like, what am I doing here? This is hard. I remember um, when I went off to college, I was 2,500 miles away from home. I went from Southern California to Southern Virginia. I got off the plane. I didn't know what humidity was until I stepped off the plane in Southern Virginia in August. Oy vey. I'm like, who? why would people live here? <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. Then everyone talked like this. I'm like, I can't understand what you're saying. And I'm like, what's going on? They lost my luggage for six weeks. I'm laying on a plastic bed, dorm room bed, a, a week before classes start for freshman orientation with the same clothes, no sheets, no pillow, no car. We weren't allowed to have a car freshman year. And I'm like, God, I just want to go home. I don't know what it is. But I do know a storm comes everybody's way someday. And the question is the same for every one of us in this room. What are you going to build your life on? Sand? Or Jesus? And here's the amazing thing. The choice is ours. God will not micromanage those decisions for us. Through the power, beauty, and mystery of free choice, we get to make those decisions. Yet, for the believer, we have one distinct advantage. God in us. The Holy Spirit is guiding and directing us as long as we give Him full sway in our lives. We submit to His Lordship. We confess sin. We come before Him humbly and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Guide me. Lead me. He says, I'm right here. But this means we have to say no to the flesh daily and yes to the Spirit's control in our lives daily and then go out and make the right choice. Do me a favor. Just bow your heads right now. Thank you.
We're not what I call a, a typical altar church. That's no judgment against altar churches. I walked up to an altar at 17 and gave my life to Jesus. I like altars. Your altar could be in your chair or it might be you need to walk up here and you need to meet with somebody, someone on the prayer team, someone on staff, maybe a friend of yours, and just go to that sacred place, go to that altar. By the way, altars are awesome, but they're scary. Why? Because the altar is where we go to die. We go to die there. My ego, my flesh, my anger, my addictions, my selfishness, my pride. Maybe today's the day of death for you. You go to that place and you say, God, I've been on the throne of my life and I'm laying it all down at your altar and I'm giving my life to you. Maybe you're like, I want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Talk to somebody up here about this. Maybe, and I think it's most in this room, you know and love Jesus, but the altar looks a little different for you, but you need to go and and die to control, die to expectation. You've been this weird sort of contract deal with God. That needs to die. That's got to die. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're looking at the baptismal and you're like, man, Jesus gave a clear command. If you, if you love me, you obey my commandments. I'm commanding you to get baptized. I haven't been baptized. I need to be baptized. I need to tell the world I'm a follower of Jesus. I need to tell the world I've died to self and I've risen to new life. My sin is buried and I'm living by the power of Holy Spirit now. Maybe today's the day. Maybe it's next week. Think about that. Let me pray. Father, you give us a choice. I don't understand it, but you do. all sorts of materials, especially Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit to build the house, but still we got to build it. Help us to do it by your power, your might, your strength. Father, I pray for those who, um, who are watching and who are sitting here and they're like, I, I don't know this, Jesus. I, I pray that today would be the day they, they die on the altar and give their life to him so they might live. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.